Film Wax Radio. It's Friday, October 15th, 2021, and this is episode number 691 of the podcast. On this great episode, we have two friends of the show, two returning friends. One is a nonfiction filmmaker who has been on this show a bunch of times. We bring back the great Lynn Sachs friend of the podcast, Lynn Sachs, back on. She's here today on this episode to talk about a number of our films that are being shown on the Criterion channel. They're, they're doing a, I guess, a, a retrospective, if you will. It's the streaming debut of her most recent featured documentary called Film About a Father Who. And if you go back to episode 595 from uh, the beginning of last year, January 23rd of last year, you can uh, hear more about Film About a Father Who because Lynn and I spoke spoke for an entire segment just about that film, which which uh, she had recently completed and which was, uh, I guess, in film festivals. There is now finally a streaming release of a film about a father who, and it's going to be on the Criterion channel. So you can go to CriterionChannel.com, or if you have the app on um, your phone, tablet, or Apple TV, uh, I guess Roku, you can watch it on your television. It's a, it's a really wonderful documentary about, and very personal about her father. And she's been making this film over the course of many years and over the course of many types of mediums, different uh, types of video and film. So it's really a fascinating document. I should mention that they're also going to show seven of her shorter works also. And they are, again, available on the Criterion channel right now. And then, meanwhile, on the Apple TV Plus streaming service, we have the Todd Haynes documentary about the Velvet Underground, which is called The Velvet Underground. And we have the cinematographer here back on the show, Ed Lockman, who has shot so many films. Uh, and Ed was here last in July of 2018 on episode 497. And, and today we finally got him back on to talk about his work with uh, Todd on this documentary, as well as uh, shooting all these uh, surviving members of the band and John Cale and uh, Lou Reed's relationship and uh it's a really wonderful and if you have a chance he's also releasing as a separate film a new print of songs for drella which was the um concert that lou and john performed in uh of this album dedicated to and about andy warhol and their their relationship with him uh, so it's just Ed Ed shot that years ago, I think in 1990, and finally it's 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 uh, being it's been restored. Now I don't know exactly how to see that one, but I'll I'll find out and somehow get this information um, on the uh, show notes or on our social media and let people know how to see Songs for Drella. But at least in the meantime, you can go to the Apple TV Plus streaming service. Now here's the thing: see, these are two different services that uh, not aren't free. Or, and, and quite as ubiquitous as, let's say, a Netflix or a, an Amazon Prime. But my recommendation is they sometimes, I believe, have trial 
subscription so you can get it for free for a couple of weeks, whether it's Apple TV Plus or the Criterion Channel. I, I have to say is uh, they're both very valuable to me, so I recommend it. Anyway, great show here today on episode 691. We're going to go into my conversation with Ed Lockman first here. We uh, have him back on. They had been showing uh, the Velvet Underground documentary at the New York Film Festival when I was able to talk to him. Uh, what a lovely guy. So here it is now. This is uh, the documentary, The Velvet Underground, which, by the way, I haven't mentioned, is at the Film Forum right now. So if you're in New York, and I recommend you go see it in person. If you can't do that, as of today, it's now streaming on Apple TV+. Plus. So here it is, my conversation with the cinematographer, the DP, Ed Lockman. Only on here on Film Wax Radio. We have all come here together, over there, Andy Warhol. We have this chance to combine music and art and films all together. We're sponsoring a new band. It's called The Velvet Underground. And me, I'm in a rock and roll band. It was my first time in New York, and I was appalled. This place is filthy. <laughs> Cinema, money, parties. It was outrageous. People came because the cameras were running. They thought they could become famous. At the center of it is the exploding art world. It opened your eyes to a lot of possibilities. We started getting a following, but a lot of radio stations wouldn't play our stuff. Hi, Ed. I'm from, uh, yeah, we did um, a long interview. I just looked it up uh, about four years ago in June of 2018, and I came to your studio. Oh, really? Yeah, we had a really long conversation. I showed up. About what? I think it was very general, in fact. I mean, you know, I, I, I thought I'd come in and, and, and pick your brain about your career. And then you started getting very philosophical or into the, into the what's the expression, into the weeds, I guess. Or, and I'm like, oh, my God, I am in over my head. I just. Oh, no, no, no. If you no. talk to me long enough, that happens, you know. Uh, but I- that's. Yeah, but there's that's in a way for I think some population of people that's the 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 prize, you know, that's what they want, especially if they're a cinematographer, you know. Right, right, right. Anyway. Right. I think it was not long after your conversation with Storaro, I want to say, but Oh. Is that possible? Yeah, that could be. Yeah, we did something up at the New York Film Festival. That's right. And I was there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was that age-old conversation about digital versus oh, right, right. A celluloid or film. And then your feeling was, well, why is it if and, or one or the other? Why can't an, someone choose whatever medium right. they feel works best for them? Right, right. Not everything should look the same. You know, it's... Uh, yeah. Exactly. So how are you? I'm hanging in there. You know, it's so great. The New York Film Festival... Um, showed in the revivals Mississippi Masala that I did with Mira Nair. Oh, like, amazing. And it was a criterion, did a new color correction with me. And then uh, I did a film with Lou Reed and John Cale the last We're time. We're going to talk about that. songs for Drella. Yeah, yeah. So I found the negative and the original sound mix 
out of Warner Brothers that was lost. Mm. And that and that came out spectacular. And it's a great companion piece with the Velvet Underground because now you see them in performance like really the last time. They did play together in a reunion I know. France at I think Cartier, but but that was yeah that was a new material. This was the last time they were together and it also brings in Andy and his their relationship to him. I wanna say just for people listening, Ed, you right, that was shot in nineteen ninety uh, at BAM? Yes, at BAM. at BAM. And you shot this live the live uh, performance of Songs for Drella, which you just explained was their love letter right. or whatever for to Andy, who had died a few years earlier, of course. But what was also interesting about it for me and looking at it now, it's not your traditional concert film because... Lou said to me, I don't want the camera between me and the performance uh, and between me and the audience. Right. People have come to see this, you know, presentation, this play, this rock opera, so to speak. And so I said to him, well, can I shoot the rehearsals? Just dress in what the you're going to be in your performance and I'll shoot one night of the performance but the cameras will be out of sight. They'll be off the stage. So that gave me an incredible ability to have intimacy with them. And I could set up dolly tracks for and moves for each song and change the rendition of how the colors would look. And this gave me a great intimacy. And then the point of view of the cameras were really the, between them. So it almost becomes a documentation okay. of their relationship through the music. And well, that's so- the only relationship they had, yeah. <laughs> from what I understand. But what's great about it is now looking at it is when an audience sees this performance, it's like they're the first audience because yeah. there's no audience in it. Right. There's no reverses yeah. looking back. You just you're in the experience of what that performance is. That's a good point. And I, I misspoke in the sense that it was. But that's interesting. So can I ask you one thing? You were probably there for the live, at least one of the live shows, I'm going to guess. Yeah. Did, you, did they? Um, it's, I, I mean, it was so lyric driven, some of those songs. And I'm just wondering if they if if it was like memorized for the audience. I mean, I, I it doesn't make a difference. I was just curious. I wondered if they used like if they had their cheat sheets and, you know, Oh, no, I mean, I mean the, the, like any musician, they, they had the lyrics of the songs, but the lyrics, many of the lyrics came out of the diary of of Andy, that they took a lot of ideas out of his diary. Sure. But also it became a memorial, right. it became a confessional, right. it became a dirge. It had all these layers in this performance. Uh what the the words and also there's an evolution it starts with small town and ends up hello it's me you go through the whole life of annie his disappointments his fears the relationship he had to john to lou so it's a very honest open kind of confessional through the music that's what i 
But for me, as a just a viewer, potential fan, let's say, of watching, I saw John Cale looking at Lou a lot, referring to him. But Lou, I look, he looked down. He didn't, he never, except for maybe one or two moments. And of course, I don't know what isn't there that you no, didn't include I, in the edit. Lou they was seemed to be music, but they, there was an interplay, but and that that's. You're not helping, Ed. We're supposed to get, we're supposed to throw <laughs> like gossip and I'm kidding. But I know that they, they had been estranged. This brought the death, Andy's death, which of course was a unexpected was, you know, something that brought them back together for their songs for Drella. You got it. And then they, they kind of fell out again, although they did reunite again. And probably at that French event you were referring to. And then that was it. Right. They never performed again ever again because they they did not they couldn't they couldn't get along right well look i it's people have asked me it's very hard i had a great relationship with both of them well you're an easygoing man but i once i we kind of came to terms like i wasn't gonna have cameras between them and the audience they kind of like embrace me you know and i i didn't have right so i didn't know what the politics were between them but lou you know had to be in control you know and uh maybe sure. that led to uh whatever right. they yeah 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 what is john kale like we get an idea of uh, lou from so much but we don't I don't know what was John Cale as far as a subject for you, because he he also, by the way, we can mention that he participated in Todd's in your film, The The Velvet Underground, uh, which is what we're here to talk about. And then so what was your what was John Cale as far as being uh, somebody who talked about The Velvet Underground and his relationship with Lou and the music? What was that? What was that man? I I think what he says is there, you know, again, as uh, another artist, uh, a filmmaker, I was there to, to, to implement what their music was, you know, to record and shoot their music. I didn't get into all that other stuff. I I know. have to, Uh, but I think John is so forthright in Todd's film that you understand he, he I think he sets the landscape of how Lou had a falling out with John and how he had a falling out with Andy. And, you know, I mean, I think Lou made these kind of choices because whatever his own frustrations were or not, then maybe how he, uh, used other people to for what he felt was not working for him, but right. we, I, we, you get a feeling that that maybe wasn't really the case. You know that this was something that Lou felt, but you know that's all s- subjective. I have no course, right information to say that. You know, I understand. I, you know, but is, this are is... you actually recording this live now. No, it's not live. Oh, oh, oh sorry. <laughs> and if, oh, which, which bet, which does then suggest, I can mention 
then based on what you just asked me, if after the fact, there's something that you want me to take out, just let me know if there's something, because oh. I sometimes will, you know, things come up. It happens. No, no, I, 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 no, I, I know. I don't want to. Pay Last you. time you were trashing Todd and Christine and I took oh. it out because I just. <laughs> <laughs> of course, of course. No, I, I can't. I, the one thing I would like to say is the approach. You know, I had a small part in, I feel, in the Velvet Underground documentary. I shot the interviews, all right? All right. So what, one thing that Todd said helped him is that I knew a lot of the people. So they felt comfortable around that I was there f- filming them, which was great. But the other thing was, on a stylistic level, we definitely looked at, and it, they're in the film, the... Mm-hmm. Uh, screen test that Andy would do where he would have people sit in front of his Bolex not think and he would just shoot their like a still image you know about you know he was always experimenting with time and duration and and um, what film could be you know as kind of uncovering the uh, uh, what's underneath something you know like you know sustaining uh, an image well, so, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, no. So I'm just saying, so the screen test was a reference, but he shot those in black and white. And then the other reference for, for us was Andy Warhol's screen, um, screen, uh, you know, his printed screen uh, printing that he did of, you know, the movie stars and Debbie Harry and Jacqueline O'Neill. screen. The silk screen printing yeah, that right. he did or yeah. like the photograph. So that 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 informed, you know, using those colored backgrounds and even gelling their faces with the colors that were close to the background. So that there was a combination of the screen test and the printed uh, screen, the screen, the printed why am I forgetting what? The printed screen, the silk screen printing uh, right. that Warhol you. was famous for, yeah. that impl- that informed the the interviews. Got you. I understand. But you said in a couple of minutes ago that Todd wanted to use you for uh, uh, because you had a, a long history with uh, many of the people that were there when the Velvet Underground, uh, which is again the subject of the new film. Uh, wow. When they were coming up and you know going through this period, and, but but I, I mean you're you have a long relationship with Todd. And I don't know how many collaborations you had with them, but there've been many. Yeah, I and agree. and I wonder which came first, the chicken. I mean, it, it, it was that part of why Todd chose to make this film in the first place because no had, no 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 he. I mean, no, is it a coincidence? No, no. I think he was just always taken by this time period in new york and the yeah what the cultural uh landscape was that came uh-huh. out of the not only their music but also the imagery of the time mm-hmm. and um todd todd says you know if i quote him right that the five thousand records they sold what, what it was more important the five thousand it started five thousand different bands that the that the velvets were so influential to others to create their own kind of music mm-hmm. band that 
and and you know that he was, was so interested in the culture of the 60s and 70s right well we know from his other works but but, but all of them from bowie Erzatz yeah. bowie film velvet villain yeah the velvet gold mine velvet gold mine thank you My, see i just went into a blank and the karen carpenter you got the dylan film i mean it, right. it's but they've all been variations of fiction yeah but but interesting this Somebody is a documentary yeah, but this is what's interesting. Somebody brought this up that in his fictions, he he creates an authenticity of the world that allows the viewer to believe what you're seeing as a fiction. Where in his new evolution of making this documentary, he uses elements to create abstractions to kind of create the gestalt, the mood, the feeling of what it was like to be there. Because there wasn't a lot of footage of actually performance footage of the Velvet, even though it's strange they were around all these image makers and nobody was actually recording them in their concerts. So this again allowed, it's always sometimes the weakness is the strength in, in how you approach the sure. subject matter yeah so by him using all these images and filmmakers of the time and the use of pop art and the, the sensibility of how to create a work i think situates the world and people were there or not there get a real feeling of who the velvet underground were and what their yeah. importance were well, I really, really enjoyed it. And by the way, it's on the Apple streaming service, or will be. It's premiered at Cannes. It's just had its screenings at the New York Film Festival. And, and then again, it will be on the Apple TV screening uh, streaming service. Excuse me. Yeah, first of all, I really appreciate I like how we introduced the key people. I like the, how they were almost like chapters. I really enjoyed how that was framed. But I also was, it was really cool to hear Jonathan Richmond's story. And I've always been a big fan of Jonathan Richmond. And I just thought, how could these two have a deep connection? Like, because Jonathan Richmond does something so utterly to me on the surface. And it's always about, well, getting beyond the surface, right? That's what the film can help do is lead you to a place that is below the surface. So you may think Jonathan Richmond, this quirky singer songwriter from Boston, what does he possibly have in common with Lou Reed or, or Jackson Brown and Jackson Brown. And that's even more, right? I was like, really from left field. That's true. Here's this Southern California kid, you, you know, right. Writing like singer songwriter. Couldn't be, if anything, you think my God, Lou would have disdained what Jackson Brown was doing. These uh, interpersonal, these personal love stories and whatnot. But you, then you see the the Nico connection, and and you understand, right, right. right. You and of course, she covered that. one of his big hits, of course, right. But you, yeah, you see how all these people came out of the energy and the creative juices of that time period. Sure, right. And temporarily sucked into this orbit around the Velvet Underground, right? Right. So, how was that it, it, talking to those folks for you? How was and how did you handle that? Did you have to? Because, you know, you're shooting these, I imagine, under the veil of COVID, right? Yeah. Well, that's interesting. 
Yeah, yeah, certainly some of them were under COVID, but some of them were actually shot before uh, okay. COVID. Um, no, it was just, you know, I've shot interviews my whole life and, and yeah. with musicians. It was a very open, you know. We're- actually, I, actually, I did make a decision that the camera had a certain distance to them. So it was more about the conversation between um, Todd and the who, who the interviewer and interviewee, and um, I put the Todd very close to the lens. Okay, I always I always like that the eye line is close to the lens. I always think it's a little distracting when people look way off left or right. Um. Mm-hmm. But so I wanted it to be this conversational piece and not have them feel, you know, the camera. But of course, all these people are familiar being around cameras anyway. Well, I mean, it's great that you have this journey with with this particular band. It, it, it I like I like that aspect to it. Makes it more special knowing that you at the end of my songs for Drella, which yes, I didn't show. I oh actually, yes, talk about that. I bet when you were talking about songs for Drella, I yeah. if stay if you're getting we're we're going to wind yeah. down, but 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 Seven, talk about the promo that you shot. Yeah, Seventeen years earlier, yeah, yeah, in nineteen ninety, I shot the promo. We didn't even know what they were then. Video promos for Berlin, Berlin Lou Reed solo album, yeah, and. I, again, I always looked online. I never could find it. And then during the pandemic, I started going through all my boxes, just whatever I could find, old love letters, whatever, photos. And there was a reel. And on that reel, 16 millimeter reel, Amazing. was the Berlin. So Promo I for the album and yes. for, on vinyl and tapes <laughs> and cassette tapes. Yeah. Back. Can you tell just tell the anecdote really quickly because I think we're going to run out of time. But just well, quick, just tell was, a story about Lou Reed and yeah, how you were yeah, going to shoot yeah, yeah. the promo. So I'm setting up the camera. It was 16 millimeter, and Lou came up to me. And at that time, I knew Lou Reed, but not you know I was not didn't know that much about it. And he kicked the tripod which I, I grabbed onto the camera in shock and panic. And he said to me, do it like Andy. And then walked back to the microphone. And I like kind of reset up the camera and I didn't say anything to him. So jokingly, when we started songs for Drell, I said, do you remember when we shot the Berlin promo video? Uh-huh. He came up and kicked my tripod and said, do it like Andy. And he looked at me and said, I don't remember much from back then and smiled. So, and if you see the promo, you'll, you'll see uh, why maybe he looked like that might be the case back in that period. One of the most prolific and I mean, or to productive, he was very productive. So, you know, uh, Ed, thank you so much, man. Uh, this was a, so exciting to uh, get to talk to you again. You know, I'm a, big fan of you and your work you know and i'm only sad that i didn't 
been able to get down to the screenings and run into you at any of the PNI screenings oh. this year, but next year for sure. Well, yeah, and if you want a link to the songs, I if you, it's songs for Drella. Yeah, I. Oh, I no, no, I have it. Oh, you have no, but you don't have the new version of it, do you? you I don't. don't have the new the version I just authorized that I just read. Yeah, no, I think I do. I think it is. It's what they made available to us. Um, the okay, the society, right. okay. the film at Lincoln no, Center. Yeah, they they gave you the best one. Yeah, no, they did. It says it. Pretty sure it says it there. And then oh, you have your notes. And then at the right. is that now is that last thing? I don't know if you know, but I wonder if that last part about the pro, about the Berlin promo, if that's going to be on Apple. I can't imagine they're going to use that part. I I don't even know if they're going to show songs. I, I'm hoping that they, they want That's true. It. Well, right, right, right. I'm confusing myself. I got Farfield. No, no, no. They're not going to show that. They, no, I'm going to cut this part out because I screwed yeah. up. But yeah, that makes no sense. They're going to, sh- it's going to be, again, uh, they're going to show the Velvet Underground on Apple TV platform, currently at the New York Film Festival uh, as we speak, right. more or less. That's what they're going to show. And, th- and then if enough critics say how wonderful songs are, maybe they'll show that as an ad show. <laughs> People you should know. see it. Anybody loves it. It's a, it's fantastic. Yeah. Thank uh, you, Ed. Criterion. Thank you. Nice talking to you guys. Same here. Until next time. Thank you. The sound, not only was it new, but it was radically different. We were studying natural harmonics. Shiny, shiny. Lowe's music was very heavy. Everything he does in that craggly voice of his resonated. That weirdness. It shouldn't have existed in this space. His music sounded like nothing else. And all of a sudden, it would stop like that, and the audience would be dead silent. The Velvet Underground had hypnotized them. Luke always was very clear that there's no difference between being a writer of the book and a writer of lyrics. The artist is not with society. He's different. I was interested in communicating to people who were on the outside. They were going to blaze a trail. Which eventually they did. Good evening. We're your local Velvet Underground. Lynn is an old friend of mine, and I'm I'm uh, so glad to have gotten to know her over the years. As I mentioned, film about a father who is her most recent feature documentary, because she makes a lot of shorter films, uh, seven of which are, again, on the Criterion channel in this series that were uh, retrospective, if you will. The synopsis for a film about a father who, over a period of 35 years, between 1984 and 2019, filmmaker Lynn Sachs shot 8 and 16-millimeter film videotape and digital images of her father, Ira Sachs Sr., a bon vivant and pioneering business, businessman from Park City, Utah. Film about a father who is her attempt to understand the web that connects a child to her parent and a sister to her siblings. I actually got to meet Ira Sr. once at the Museum of Modern Art when I think it was Lynn's prior feature, Tip My Tongue, which I had been involved with, and uh, he came to the premiere, which was at the uh, the, the premiere of, of that, the New York City premiere at the Museum of Modern Art a few years back, and I got to meet him briefly. And uh, it's a great family, and I'm, I'm glad to uh, call these Sachs folks my friends. So here now, without any further hesitation, 
is my latest conversation with uh, filmmaker Lynn Sachs here on Film Wax Radio. I had made a film that I thought was a lot about looking out, and I wanted to make another film that was about looking in. And like my next project is about looking out and in at the same time. What's that going to be about? Oh, well, part of it's about you. As far back as I can remember, Dad engaged with the world in ways that inspired, excited, and uh, sometimes confused me. person who is able to keep these profound secrets. He doesn't lie, he just doesn't tell you what's going on. It's a lot of omission. Hi Lynn. Hey there, good to see you in another context. I know. But still, we live in the same globe. Same and the same state? The same state, yes. Luckily, I'm only, I'm only minutes from your husband's alma mater. Are you actually in Tivoli? Well, I'm actually, t- technically, no. I'm in the, like an adjacent town, but but our, our post office is Tivoli, so they, we have their zip code. So I, it, it, And I told you my little special no. thing about that word. Did I tell you that? Uh, repeat it. Remind that, me. That backwards, it spells I love it. That's right. I forgot. Except, yeah, but phonetically. Okay. Only phonetically. Yeah. yeah. But I do, and I do e, love it. Silent E anyway. One day they'll probably just get rid of E's. Like, they'll just give in and let texting become the official language of the English language. You know, like, version of the English language. <laughs> it's like... So, yeah, so this has been, it's been so nice. It's so beautiful here. It's really nice. I love it. Yeah. yeah. Hiking and swimming and mingling. You can do all that up here, too? Well. I am pretty close to a lake. I, there's, to me, there's nothing better than swimming in a lake in the summer. I got to do that. I was uh, kayaking on this lake nearby, and then, and then I brought Jacob over there, but he didn't want to go swimming. He, we were just hanging out at the lake doing exactly what we would do here. My daughters get, I mean, they're city girls, you know, they said they'll get in a lake and they'll say, well, yeah. but I can't see what's in here. It might be slimy. Yeah. yeah, exactly. As opposed to the disgusting things we walk around looking at in New York City on the ground, which we can see and which we couldn't. So, you know, there's no winning. Good comparison. Yeah. Well, how are things there? They're okay. We're all right. That's yeah. good. That's good. So tell me, yeah. It's still, still reeling in a surprising way after the downfall of our governor. Oh, right. Uh, we got one more week of the... Uh, oh, yeah. He's still in place. That's right. I forgot. Yeah. Yeah. But then, and then we'll have our first female governor. Yeah. And we don't know much about her. Not much. Except that she probably isn't hitting on young women all the time. But then... You know, we just assume that. <laughs> but we assume that about most men, too. Like, like yeah. they would know better. But Not now, this is late in the Me Too moment. Yeah. Anyway, how, so tell me, how did the Criterion 
channel okay. retrospective come how, how did that come about who contacted whom i mean um and and yeah it's such a beautiful opportunity this october is it october yes it is october there'll be uh one of their focuses will be your body of your work yeah i'm really excited in fact uh it was announced just a couple of days ago by deadline hollywood i, I saw that. that yeah and they called it an octet, which I, I like the musical reference. So I just thought that was really sweet and inventive to have a word for octet. Yeah. Um, I mean, for eight movies. So well, great. I started a, the primary uh, thing being the, the, the film about a father who, but go ahead. They, want, they, they had decided months ago to, to stream a film about a father who, and that was arranged through Cinema Guild. And then... Uh, I began a conversation with the current programming director, whose name is Penelope Bartlett. And that was such a treat. I mean, I would say it was a gift to be in correspondence with her. And I really say correspondence because we have never spoken and never met, obviously. And she just started looking at lots and lots of my films, which was, was a delight for me. And I kept thinking to myself, how on earth does the programmer for the Criterion channel have time to watch my movies? They're always adding films and different retrospectives and classics and all of that. So uh, she came up with the idea of putting together a program of other films that related to family in some way either I had worked with family or I was kind of in investigating relationships that you could call family. And in that way of thinking, she decided to include it. For example, my film Maya at 24, which yeah. is a film I shot when my daughter Maya was six, 16 and 24. And each year she would run circles around me and that's been something we've done periodically. And I call it Maya at 24 because also film runs at 24 frames per second. So it kind of was a nice play on that in the you know, cinema cosmos. Um, and she also is showing a, a film that I made in Argentina with both of my daughters called Wind in Our Hair. And then a film I made with my sister, Dana, in 1994 called Which Way Z? So she really came up with this conceit of you know films about uh, films that were in collaboration with members of my family and then she added two additional films um, that spoke directly to films in their collection in the criterion collection and so that includes my film the washing society which looks at the the relationship of people who do laundry in New York City and people who have their laundry done, what it is to live in this very service-oriented urban environment and what laundry is in relationship to our bodies and work and also the kind of choreography of a laundromat, which is all part of that film. And there's a film in the Criterion Collection called Clotheslines, which is a film from the 1970s by Roberta can tell it's kind of a classic feminist film and so I think they'll sort of pair those and then I made a film which is a a very short film that is my 
reflection and frustration and shock at the uh, attack on the U.S. Capitol, which I wrote in the form of a letter to the director, Jean Vigo. And he had, he made a film called Zero for Conduct in 1933. And it's just a beautiful film about children and anti-authoritarian. Epistolary, yeah. Yeah, and that film is called Epistolary Letter to Jean Vigo. And it's a letter to addressing that film that he made, Zero, Zero for you, Conduct. Right, I noticed there was footage uh, from Lord of the Flies, right? Yes. Really beautiful. Yeah. Oh, yeah. oh, thank you. Yeah, Lord of the Flies actually for both of us was probably a very important film, uh, a book. I never had seen the film before, but that no, I. Book, I don't think I've watched it. Yeah, but the book was a was sort of like Catcher in the Rye. It was the book that you read to think about what are the what are the dangers of the of youth, <laughs> and what are the excitements and the the in, the introspection and also the engagement. So the, those were super special books, and I wanted to include that like that film so um yeah and then the main the main I guess anchor of it is film about a father who because I spent 35 years of my life (laughs) working on it and uh I I um I guess she she just wanted to build something around it that talked about the kind of engagement that one can have with family in the process of making art Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I remember we did a podcast when that came out. That? Me, two, like two years ago. It's shocking, right? It's about two years ago already. At least. Yeah, well, the film came out last year, but um, everything seems really protracted. But we, we did, yes, we did, uh, we had a conversation, I would say it was probably in January or February, so just before the pandemic. Oh, was that, is that, was it that, the, yeah, I think it was earlier than that, but maybe you know. Anyway, oh, you probably uh, right. We've had some other conversations, uh, and you got together. Oh, we've had a lot of conversations. We have. It's been have. a treat. Maybe we had the. I'm going to do a, uh, a yeah retrospective. I'm going to do a retrospective of my conversations with you yes. versus my conversations with Ira, and I'm going to call it the Battle of the Saxes. Yes. There you go. Get it? Yeah, I get it. The <laughs> Battle of the Saxes. I'm going to see Ira tomorrow. I'm going to tell him oh. up with that. You are a very good punner. <laughs> oh, God. Tell him, tell him. Yeah, please sit, give him my regards. I wanted to say another thing about Penelope Bartlett and about Criterion. Yeah, let's talk about that more, too. Sure. Yeah, I really uh, appreciate the direction that the channel's going in the sense that they're they're integrating work that was considered not so much not even part of the indie like indie film i'm doing air quotes which oh this is a this is this is not your this is this is a podcast right well it's there's there's the video video part but this but no this will be on the audio too because you know we'll, we'll put it up in october once it's available well for so long the notion of of watching movies on television and breaking into the kind of more alternative-ish work meant indie films and American indie films which were usually features and were actually often pretty big budgets not as big as Hollywood but they were they were kind of on the edge of the Uh industry and I think that with 
uh, the 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 kind of rise of virtual cinemas and um, video on demand. I think the audiences are more open to kind of fresh ideas and things that don't that uh, shall I say entertain in a different way uh-huh. that aren't as constructed by a certain template of like what a TV series should be or how exactly 90 minute feature film or, or in that, that respect. So like to bring shorter films in with, it's sort of like saying like, let's introduce poetry. Let's introduce work that will be challenging. And, and I just love that they're doing it and they're, they're, you know, they're trying to address issues around, well, do we have enough women filmmakers? Do we have enough people of color filmmakers? There was a like I you know a big article last fall around the inclusion of African American filmmakers or the not not enough representation. I think they worked hard to address that. So I think that the channel, which which uh, is a kind of go to for what's happening and what happened uh, in in our field, is really t- taking a lot of risks, and and I, I appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, uh, um, programmers know that, you know, you, it's one thing to de- be aware of or to decide to change, you know, to, or to compensate for maybe, uh, you know, maybe having not represented everybody and et cetera. However, to actually to do it and to keep it in your mind and to make it a regular practice requires a lot of work because, you know, there may not be as much content or you know, there it takes more, or the relationships aren't there as 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 you know developed as there are because of the history of just sort of you know white filmmakers were in abundance. You know, so you, you really do need to make it. I mean, I, I I just know from my own experience, even just doing this show, I, I you know, it's an act, it requires thoughtfulness and and and, and continuity. And another thing about the Criterion Channel is I think people turn to it to discover things. Right. And maybe when it first started, and it's only a couple of years old, I just learned that it, it came out of Filmstruck. I didn't... Yes. Yeah. Yes. So yes. The, I think until recently, the idea was that you would go to the Criterion Channel to find something you were looking for. And now that the way that they've set up their yeah. website... It, it's also a matter of like what's a new release and what you know what what kind of um the, they might have like, like a used bookstore but like a bookstore yeah like you a used bookstore where you browse and you don't yes. know specifically a used bookstore because you can't count on anything being you know i mean maybe that's you can count on a certain amount of criterion titles of course but yeah I think that's true. It's like a used bookstore. So there's history in it. And, and so you might see something that your parents enjoyed, you know, but, but they had never spoken about it. And, and there's also kind of not, it, I, I think it's funny they use the word criterion because it sounds like this is what you should watch. This right. is the canon, but it's not called the canon. It's just called criteria. Like the, this is what we, what we love, what we suggest, what yeah. we think is, is, um, interesting to look at so you know i i have such gratitude for their including this group of films and and including really short i hate to use the word short but films of mine that that are are similar to a poem and just express an idea in a 
in a matter of like minutes. And for, like, I think the shortest film they have on there is five minutes. So or maybe four and a half. Um, and um, so that's, that's like, a, you know, it'll be interesting to see how many people would watch that on the streaming service. Once you're uh-huh. in the service, you can watch anything you want. <laughs> There's so much, and it's so much. Yeah, it's it's, it's an amazing. Cha- I like that uh, approach to it of just sort of discovery. Yeah, you're right. You know, go into it with just sort of a uh, an adventurous sense of you know an adventurous sense and uh, enjoy. You know, I think we're there. There's this uh, obviously attempt to expand the audience and to make it more available to more people that there's there's other things out there and we have to introduce this these types of films to new audiences all the time you know you know it's, it's i think the same thing film the film film society of lincoln center changed its name a couple of years ago to film at lincoln center i think they were just oh, no, make, i think that's a really good point because i think they just felt branding wise that maybe it suggested a i don't know what do you think uh there was a an, an elite level. Yeah, like, right, a society. Well, you know, because of the, the, the associations with the word society, you know. So I don't know if it's helped, but I think making an effort to really make quality films or just different alternative films available to a broader audience. I mean, it's a really, it's important because, I mean, you know, you're fighting against a, a big you know, advertising <laughs> Goliath, uh, you know, when it comes to Hollywood. I think one of the things that I'm super excited about is is this idea that oh, there's noisy New York. I, I love it. it. I don't mind it. It's welcome on my show. Nope, I like it. Okay, good. Yeah. Okay. People, I would when I, I mean I did my show out of New York, of course, for ten, practically eight or nine years, and you know the amount of noise that would leak in, is, you know. Yeah, it adds a local color, as we say. Yes. Um, but uh, you know, also I I think that. This notion of showing a a group of films by someone who's been involved in the field for a long time kind of speaks to how your work grows and changes. And it's not just always this emphasis on the new. So, um, you know, I have a film in this program from 1994, which is called Which Way is East? I made it in Vietnam with my sister who was living there, Dana Sachs who was living there as a journalist. And then it comes all the way up to the present um, to Epistolary, which was made just a few months ago. It feels like, grand, yeah, I mean, there's footage of the, of the uh, insurgents. So, yes, uh, you exactly. Know. Yeah. Um, so, and in and, and some ways, those two films together speak to each other. They speak to political situations, to tension one was speaking to a little like it addresses the vietnam war as it looks back at the war um and to our impressions of it and then and they both are kind of essay films i would say you know they're they they investigate um what i i felt about these these moments in history and you know i'm very interested in that that interpretive place that we can all have in relationship to where the time in which we live so um that those those two movies really uh, you know could have a a a dialogue with epistolary was the decision to incorporate or january 6th footage 
Was that more of an intellectual decision or was it just something that was nagging at you that you felt you wanted to process it? So after the, um, after the attack and during the attack on the Capitol, the insurgents, uh, and that, that trans, I, I thought about that transition point from something being a civil disobedience action, like maybe some graffiti on the wall to something being very, very violent. And yeah. I wanted to understand at what point does a, a critical gesture um, become something that creates pain, anguish, death in some points? Is it, is it a thin line or is it a thick line? That, I mean, a, a like wall between those two things. And so I, there was an, a, a term that kept coming to my mind. I said, this sounds kind of quaint, but it did. I kept thinking, those people do not know how to behave. <laughs> you know, like, what would it be like to be their parents or their mo- mother in this case? Like, how would you feel about someone who did something like that, that was, that violated so many people in a, and uh, like, not just our U.S., it's one thing to violate the building, but to hurt people is even more heinous. It's much more heinous in my book. And so I had actually been commissioned by the Punta de Vista Film Festival in Spain to write, to, to, to do something that 10 other filmmakers were doing, which was to write a letter to a filmmaker who had been important to us from the past. So I had already decided to write to Jean Vigo. And then I thought, wow, he made a film about children who mis- misbehave, who kind of know how to behave, but decide not to. But they do it in the most, uh, kind of noisy out there, sorry. They're doing, they're, 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 they're so cleaning today. the streets. They're cleaning. That uh, happens our, every our once in a while in New York City. The died, how you say died, Jesus? Yeah. Um, so I thought about the fact that he had made a movie about, about anti-authoritarian behavior, but, but ultimately it's a celebration of play and kind of, um, and, and like a, a, a recognition of this, this impulse of children to try to find their way to break the rules. But then what happened in, in Washington, DC to me was more like, children in Lord of the Flies, where they didn't want to break the rules. They wanted to destroy each other. And so um, there's a kind of cliche expression, you know, boys will be boys. Well, in Washington, D.C., it was boys and men and women. And they, they, they took misbehaving to a far more, uh, painful and destructive place yeah what struck me was that lord of the flies you took these british were they british yeah they took these british kids most of whom grew up in pretty civilized environments and then put them on this island and then they became very primal and i felt like that is the way that these people acted in the insurrection yeah Yeah. you know like primally too and and um causing destruction but you know that i saw that 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 common you know that commonality there it was, it was very good oh i didn't know if Jean, Jean, i didn't know i'm not i haven't seen much john Biko. 
Well, I know I've seen at least one major film of his, which well, was. Which, yeah, did you see Adelant? Yeah, that's the one yeah. I was going to mention, yeah. which I loved, of course. But, well, the other Zero for Conduct is great, and it's it is about boys. So I don't I don't know if that available on the. Uh, I mean, I would imagine well, Adelant it's is on the channel. It's on it the Criterion Channel. Yeah, that's great um, to know. I, I I'll, tr- I'll catch that. But I want to say I actually have another film in this program called The Last Happy yes. Day. Um, which which also looks at this space between the childhood vision and the kind of innocence of you know innocence of childhood and that when that is dis- destroyed or broken mm-hmm. and um, so it's a film that looks at the life of a very distant cousin of mine uh, his name was Alexander Leonard or Shandor Leonard and he became call it famous for a brief time in the 1960s because he uh, translated Winnie the Pooh into Latin. But he had also done something else that I learned about through letters that he had written to our family. And that is that during World War II, he worked in Rome reconstructing the bodies of American soldiers who died in World War II. And so he saw really the worst of that, of that, time of the Holocaust and that uh, he wasn't in a concentration camp, but he saw a lot of death and destruction, but he also gravitated to something that was kind of a beacon of childhood wonder. And that would have been Winnie the Pooh and, and, and gleaned a kind of philosophical way of thinking and being from Winnie the Pooh. So it, it's a film meditation, again, a bit of an essay on those things. And, and it also is a film that fits under the rubric that they, that uh, Penelope Bartlett came up with, which was family. Um, And, and in addition, it connects to film about a father who, because it was part of a triptych I made um, on the ways that you can understand another human being, like a, for example, your father, with whom you have a, a could have a, have had a deep relationship, but also it's hard to grasp in totality. And then a very distant cousin, and then there's another film in between called States of Unbelonging. So that triptych is is was a a, a context for me to understand how film could give us a portal to someone else's psyche. I was going to ask you if they packaged or programmed them together as a triptych in the. Uh, well, states of unbelonging is not in the. Oh, program. gotcha. So, yeah, so it's two of those films. Um, so, of course, since I know my work very well, <laughs> I can see connections. Um, you know, sure. the initial um, thematic uh, programming of these family films. And then there are these other two films that speak to the criterion collection. Um, but then in my mind, I understand that there are these other crossovers, like films that deal with the, the resonance of, of violence in our society or our culture and how that kind of seeps into our being and other, other ways that I can see connections but i'm not the programmer and i i actually feel so so indebted to someone who's doing this amount of curating but doing it with such delicacy and inventiveness Uh so that's been uh really 
a, like a gift when a curator takes that approach. Oh, I, I, I know. So it's all thir- in October. Yeah. Starting. October 1st is the, the, all the shorter films, the films that um, are in, in the family package, and then the other two films that are addressing the collection. And then on October 13th is the streaming release, uh, exclusive, as they say, streaming release of a film about a fatherhood. Right, which uh, I think is, you know, really uh, rewarding film to watch. Thank you so much. You know? Actually, the first time we spoke about that film was in your apartment. And we, and I think, maybe I hadn't finished it yet, but we spoke in your apartment and your your thought, you know, and talked a lot about your own dad. Did we? I think so. I mean, I guess it does... You know, when you're talking about that kind of conversation, yeah, yeah, and then people can also learn more about your film work going to your website. Yep, yep, and my films are uh, appear all of them at Canyon Cinema and Filmmakers Cooperative, both collectives of people like very committed to experimental underground avant garde film, and also at Cinema Guild, which distributes in a more uh conventional not a collective way but they're they're super helpful i'm really really grateful to them yeah they're terrific great and that's and and any other ways people can find your stuff well i have a vimeo channel so a lot of my films are there but um some of them are password protected but if people write me i'm very available (laughs) you know to share passwords and things like that shouldn't say that but um, I think you can yeah. also, by the way, I mean, you know, if I, I urge anybody who loves alternatives to Hollywood, and if you love classics also, there are so many wonderful films. They're not just all, you know, art films, but there are lots of art films on the Criterion channel, but there's lots of other stuff there too. Oh my God. There's and great. there's so much wonderful stuff, classics, old and new. And I believe you, if you, I think for free, you can get a, a trial period. But I, for a first, maybe probably a couple of weeks, but, but it's really worth, worth exploring it because you'll, you'll, you'll get, uh, you know, if you only watch a handful of movies a month, you've already, you know, you're ahead of the game. Totally. I, I'm, I just think the collection is great. And I've been, I've actually recently given a half a year subscription to my daughters to, because uh, I think it's just a great, dare I say it, education. Here's the big question for you. Mm-hmm. Have you been invited yet to go into the Criterion Closet? I went two days ago to the closet. What? Yeah. So they're going to, sh- oh. do they, sh- they shot it, right? No, no, no. I just, I just walked in there because oh. I was actually, they, I should add that Tara Young, who uh, works for the, the Criterion Channel and does all of their interviews or most of their interviews with the directors whose films are going to be included, came over to this very room. I sat right over there against that orange wall and she did a, a two hour interview with me. I'm sure it won't end up being two hours on the channel. And so when we, when she was done, it was two nights ago. Um, when she was done, she was going into Manhattan and I said, Oh, I'll hitch a ride with you. I need to go in. And I helped her with the equipment. And uh, as we were oh, yeah. As we went over to the, we went to the offices for the Criterion channel. I said, can I see the closet? 
So I did. And um, it was, uh, here, can I just show you? you did you raid the closet? I took Ken Loach's film, Kess. I took uh, the, the Complete. Kess is great. Yeah, I love that movie. Me the too. Complete Jacques Tati. Um, <laughs> oh, I, my gosh. I have to come over um, and, and we'll do a Jacques Tati festival. We did. Some, I found this collection. I've only seen two films of his. Oh, my God. I'm sure I haven't seen most of them. Uh, I got Anya Sparta uh, in California. And I, I think that's choices. But, yeah. I got, oh, I have to tell you, my most important discovery this on the Criterion channel okay. by far, I, is a movie I loved, my daughter loved, and my mother loved. It's called Girlfriends. Oh, yes. And I very I've seen it a couple and of times. It's a brilliant film about <laughs> the challenges and the adventures and the the kind of introspection of being a young woman in in an, a big city. In, in this case, it's New York City. Yes, I got that DVD, and it blew my mind. I loved it. Loved it, loved it. I know it's a wonderful film. It's a uh, by by Claudia Weil, who uh, I would love to invite on here, but but it's got a great cast. Um, you know, um, here, here I am in the including closet. Melanie Mayron, who oh, uh, send me that. I want to have a copy. It's including Melanie Mayron, who has done this show before. Oh, she was on here. What you met her? Oh, well, we met on the phone. Um, Adam, are we about done? Because I need to go down to the kitchen to stairs for a reason. Oh, don't let anything burn. Okay. All right. So, um, so let's let's end it properly by just reminding people: all October there'll be a Lynn Saxathon on Criterion Channel, and actually we'll, will last for a year. So that's remarkable. But people should get on in October anyway, as things. Yeah, October is and, it. Um, and uh, thank you very much. And and oh my God, it was a joy. You are wonderful, and the gifts that you give to our community just keep coming and i i adore it. i adore film wax oh, no, okay. yeah thank I mean, you okay all uh, right all right thank you see really clearly how he learned how to live double lives mm-hmm. right because it was so much part of his primary relationship which was to his mother you mean you can't go back and say i had a horrible childhood that's But these are the things that children don't need to know about their dad. Thanks, everybody. Please do consider becoming a patron of the show. Go to patreon.com slash filmwaxradio. What a great kindness that would be. And for as little as $3 a month, you too can become a patron of Filmwax and all things that Filmwax does. So consider it, please. You can also, of course, uh, 
subscribe to our YouTube channel, which would be a tremendous help, uh, which is at youtube.com slash filmwaxradio. And, uh, of course, the podcast is available on um, almost every uh, major podcast app you can think of, including most recently Audible and Amazon Music. But it's on iHeartRadio and Stitcher, Spotify, and, of course, Apple Podcasts. Please do subscribe to share it. And, um, again, leave a rating and a review. Uh, you can do that on a number of those apps I mentioned, including Apple Podcasts and uh, Stitcher. Thank you very much. Take care of yourselves and the ones you love. Until next time. Sweet, sweet.